Everybody does things sometimes that they know create problems and that get in the way of the good things they're trying to do in their lives. And I call these self-defeating behaviors. Things like losing your temper at work or flaking out on people who count on you or overeating or staying in a bad relationship that's grinding you down. They're just a few examples of self-defeating behaviors. Now, if you never did these things, your life would be better, but the reason you do them anyway is usually because of an emotion. I talk about this in my Healing Childhood PTSD course, how there's a trigger, an outside event, that sets off a very strong emotion, and the emotion unleashes the behavior that you don't want to do. So trigger, emotion, self-defeating behavior. Now, triggers are going to happen. A lot of people try to make triggers go away, but the triggers are caused by, you know, the world. <laughs> it's other people. It could be a loud noise. It could be that someone criticized you or rejected you or ignored you. It could be that you felt embarrassed about something. Anything could be a trigger, but the trouble is, you can't really control whether triggers happen. They happen, they're outside of you. If you only focus on triggers at the beginning of the sequence that leads to your own self-defeating behaviors down the line, you're just running around spending all your time trying to make other people comply with what you want. So, you know, that's where you get people who are like, don't talk about that around me. Don't ever be late with me. You, can, you can't really control other people like this. You can ask, we, you know, we talk about this. You can ask people, but you can't really make the world stop triggering you. If you have triggers, it's going to happen. If you try to control people, they'll push you away and then your triggers get worse, right? So it's not a good way to control your own behaviors is trying to control other people and whether they trigger you. Instead, you'll have a much better time focusing on your emotional response to triggers. If you recognize when you're going into one of the emotions that I call the big three, the ones that put you on a slippery slope towards self-defeating behaviors, then you buy yourself some time to actually prevent the behavior that tends to follow. Or you can minimize it at least. Maybe it's smaller, maybe it's less often. So you focus on the big three emotions. All right, so what are the big three? They are feeling overwhelmed, feeling lonely, and feeling fearful. Now, everyone feels these feelings sometimes, but if you've done something you regret, chances are you were feeling overwhelmed, lonely, or fearful. Now, you're probably wondering about anger, and yes, it's definitely there, but I see it as a secondary emotion that rides in on the other core emotions of feeling overwhelmed or alone or scared. And I'll talk about that in a minute. So strong negative emotions are initiated by a trigger and they result in a behavior. Something happens, the feeling floods you and you feel, you know, maybe numb, like you flew out of your body or you feel a big rush of adrenaline and your heart's pounding, or you get hit with a sudden rush of emotion. And this can be scary because you know on some level you're about to self-sabotage, but it's really hard to do anything about it at that point because the strength of the emotion and the need to express it just feel like too, too big to stop. Have you ever had that happen? There's a trigger and a huge negative emotion wells up and then bleh, you say or do something that hurts your relationships. This is a terrible cycle, very simple really, that allows past trauma to turn into ongoing struggles in your life. Trigger, emotion, behavior, trigger, emotion, behavior. 
let's go back to those three troublesome emotions, feeling overwhelmed, feeling alone, and feeling fearful, all right? So everybody has them. In non-traumatized people, the feelings go up and then they gradually come back down. So the feelings can be processed and if there's some action that needs to be taken, they can take time to figure out what that's going to be. They calm down, then they can take sensible action. All right, but with childhood PTSD, these feelings of fear and loneliness and overwhelm can just go through the roof and they keep rising. Have you had that happen? And this is part of what's called emotional dysregulation. If you have this, it's not your fault. But the problems it causes are now yours to deal with. So emotional dysregulation can be like drowning, like, like having the air sucked out of you. And it can lead to those secondary emotional reactions like rage and panic. And it can be hard to, to bring the emotions back to an acceptable size, a size that doesn't terrify people around you and cause you to get fired, right? That extra strong factor in your emotions is because your nervous system is having a stress response. And with CPTSD, you might call it like a overreactive stress response, a dysregulated response to stress. So if you take a brain scan of someone who's calm and mentally regulated, you'll see lines flowing together in, you know, kind of a parallel fashion from different parts of the brain. But when you're triggered and your brain becomes dysregulated, those lines, they start going in a zaggy pattern. And similarly, the variability of your heart rate, you know, which goes like this, it goes out of sync with your breathing, which normally rises and falls with your heart rate. But they go out of sync. And that's what it feels like when you're panicky, you know, uh, getting discombobulated. You overreact to something stressful and can't seem to get a grip on the reaction. Your mind is all over the place. Your emotions go higher and higher till they feel unbearable. And this is when very bad things can happen because you might feel this sense that oh, things are dire. That's what your nervous system is telling you. Well, now it has to happen now, it's urgent. You have to yell, you have to feel like you're you know, doing something about the problem or else you're gonna explode. Or you have to beg the person who's leaving you, please don't leave because it feels like you will die. Trauma is coloring your perception here, isn't it? When you're feeling this overwhelmed and this terrified or this alone, your negative impulses kick in to temporarily feel like a fix. So there are three negative impulses that set off self-defeating behavior and they connect roughly to the negative emotions that we just talked about that get triggered in childhood PTSD. So overwhelm will tend to go into the urge to escape and aloneness becomes an impulse to cling, to hold on. And fearfulness becomes an impulse to control. So escape, cling, control. And if you're like most people, you probably have one of these that's your dominant impulse when you're under stress, but most of us have all three in some measure, escape, cling, control. And this is tough because the behaviors that get triggered by these impulses are where 80% of the damage from childhood PTSD take place. It's not all from what happened to us in the past. It's not from the triggers or the feeling we're experiencing per se, but it's from our behavior right now in response to that and the impulses that drive us into that behavior. And this is not easy to face, I know that. 
it feels safer sometimes to focus on what happened, you know, what other people did, how sick they were. And compared to facing our own self-defeating behaviors, talking about other people and the past and feelings, it's, that's, you know, that's kind of like a comfort zone. You know, it's out here. But your own actions is where it totally matters now. What will you do to either hurt your life or change your life for the better? And a lot of people with childhood PTSD instinctively know this is the big question, but we lack insight about, you know, what exactly is the problem? And for you to develop good discernment about that, um, you know, what's the problem, what needs to happen to change it, you will need a safe way to look at what even is a self-defeating behavior, okay? So no pressure to change anything right this second as you watch this video, but I'm gonna share with you my list of common self-defeating behaviors. There are, you know, plenty. You don't even, you don't have to take notes on this. I will give you a link at the end of this video for a PDF that you can download and use at your own pace and take notes on, you know, and see how you're doing with your self-defeating behaviors. So here are some common self-defeating behaviors for people with childhood PTSD. Number one is black and white thinking. Traumatized people are often attracted to extreme views and groups and authority figures. Now, maybe you are outraged about current events, and I'm sure you have your reasons, but if it's consuming you, it could be a self-defeating behavior. You might be arguing with people about your opinions and it gets too heated and it's damaging relationships, it's damaging your reputation, or you might find yourself tangled up with mentors or friends who dominate you. Uh, there's that extreme like out of proportion power dynamic. Maybe you're the dominant person. Maybe you're putting people into hard categories of these people good, those people bad, and you're cutting off contact with people outside the people you consider good. Those would be examples of black and white thinking. Number two is neglect of your body. Now money could be why you have just one pair of beat up sneakers. I've been, I've, I've had just one pair of sneakers before, one coat, one pair of sneakers, rainy season, always wet, big holes in them. I didn't have a lot of money at that time. That was money. But you might have also not been taking care of yourself. That's another reason why you might be kind of um, disheveled in tatters. Maybe you haven't been to the dentist in years. For a lot of people with childhood PTSD, you know, it's a little more than just being poor. You're suppressed or diminished in the clothes you wear. You're suppressed or diminished in your ability to do just basic hygiene or to exercise. Something traumatized people do is avoid doctors and preventive care sometimes. Things have to get really bad before you deal with it. And sometimes for some people, it's too late at that point. All right. Number three self-defeating behavior is addictive use of food. And this includes everything from carrying a lot of extra weight to eating disorders to, you know, having a love affair with sweets and high carbohydrate foods that make you feel exhausted because you ate them. These foods can feel really calming for a moment when you're dysregulated, but in the long run, they make you more dysregulated. So if it gets to the point that it's making you sick or brain fogged or exhausted, it's a self-defeating behavior. Okay. Number four is the addictive use of media and entertainment. <laughs> it seems like almost everyone has this problem now watching too much TV or browsing the internet or playing games so much that you're not getting enough sleep or you're losing your daily routine or your job or face-to-face -face connection with people, or it's eating up your funds. That is a self-defeating behavior. 
Number five is dishonesty. And this includes things like exaggerating, hiding important personal truths or preferences, lying, stealing, cheating on your significant other, tax evasion, any kind of illegal activity. All right, number six is work problems. And in that category, I would put staying stuck in a job you hate, not working when you could work and should work, overworking, or having more than your share of conflicts with employers and coworkers, things like suing or getting sued or acting in a way that makes coworkers feel scared of you or humiliated. All right, that's not uncommon with childhood PTSD. Number seven, self-defeating behavior, blame. And this includes having a hard time seeing your own role in problems. It's victim thinking, it's bitterness, it's casually saying things about other people that hurt their reputation, which is slander. It's also called calumny. That's when you say things with the express purpose of harming someone's reputation. It's very wrong. Believing that all your problems are because of, you know, racism or because of sexism or foreigners or one or another political party or economic system. A lot of people who think they are above all of this and have the answers are having a trauma reaction. That's, you know, they're like literally thinking they're above others, <laughs> up and above. And they're quick to call out other people's shortcomings and declare the solution. You know, we have to do more to make people change the way I think they should be, that kind of thing, when they often have glaring problems of their own. All right, number eight is numbing with substances like alcohol or drugs. How much is too much? You are gonna have to be the judge of that. But if it's interfering with your energy level, your focus, your relationships, your finances, it's probably too much, okay? Number nine is irritability. Maybe you get angry sometimes for no reason, or you get into arguments more than your share. You get road rage. You yell at the TV. <laughs> I have a relative who once shot a gun at the TV, ruined the TV by shooting it. It was so mad about something. <laughs> Um, you might see comments online that are so hostile. It's just, you know, it's raging. Or customer service calls. Do you ever get triggered by those where you're getting the runaround or you're even losing your temper at people face to face? In the extreme, this can include like a total rage attack that's like, you know, life-threatening. It can lead to violence. Number 10 is an attraction to troubled partners and friends. People who were abused or neglected as children are, are often attracted to people. They feel more comfortable with people who were themselves traumatized, including people who have high levels of drama and addictions and conflict and serious legal and financial problems. All right. It's a self-defeating behavior to glom onto that. Number 11, unfulfilling romantic life. Now, maybe you avoid dating anyone at all, even though you haven't made a decision to end that part of your life, or you stay in bad relationships where there's no trust or no love. You may be telling yourself you do this to avoid getting hurt, but it borders into a form of romantic anorexia. Have you heard of that? Social, sexual, emotional, romantic anorexia and avoidance of those things. That brings me to number 12, which is the abuse of your sexuality. And this can include an overly sexualized appearance or being inappropriately seductive. Um, as a result of your upbringing, you may even have a distorted sense of the messages that you're sending with your behavior and poorly developed boundaries. That is so common. 
Maybe you have affairs that would badly hurt other people if they knew, or you generally feel humiliated by how you're treated and you keep seeking out that person anyway, you know, as if you can set it right somehow, if you could make contact or get them to hear you, or you feel ashamed of your own behavior and you can't stop it. That's a self-defeating behavior. Number 13 is fantasy. And I know, you know, that that fantasy is considered like a positive thing, but it can also be a self-defeating behavior. And that includes romantic obsession, including limerence. That's obsessing on someone who can't be with you or, you know, who's rejected you or maybe isn't even in your life, but it's gotten to the point that you're not living your life or connecting with people because you're very attached to this idea of somebody else, maybe searching online, you know, for possible signs that they feel the same way about you. Mm. Fantasy can also be about money and career success where the fantasy is so consuming that it takes the place of any actual work or action steps that would help you get where you want to be. And in the extreme, it can go so far as stalking or delusional thinking. Number 14 is avoidance. And this symptom is so common among people who were traumatized as kids. It can be overt when a person avoids connecting with people um, or, or accepting responsibility or, or participating in groups. But it can also take the form of covert avoidance. I made that word up and it's for when a person appears to be, you know, that you might be married, you might go to a job and hang out with everybody, you go to parties but you never really connect with people. And there's, there's like a big gap in terms of accountability and commitment to them. So that's covert avoidance. And then this is kind of where avoidance takes the form of social, sexual, and emotional anorexia. All right, debting. While financial hardship can fall on anyone and can and has, and financial stability isn't always guaranteed. Debt can become a self-defeating behavior when you're living beyond your means to pay for a place to live and transportation and clothes and recreation. Trauma can interfere with your ability to consistently earn a living or to accurately gauge like how big a threat is it if I spend down the available money I have this month. Like, like literally there are brain changes for people who are traumatized that make it hard to assess the risk that that brings on. So you get this gambling-like behavior. And in some of its worst forms, debting can turn into a gambling addiction or an unsustainable get-rich-quick mentality, and it can lead to foreclosure and bankruptcy and ultimately homelessness. Number 16 is a habit of repeating traumatic patterns. And clinicians call this repetition compulsion, where you find yourself in a relationship with a partner or some friends who have similar dysfunctional behaviors to your parents. Now, I don't believe this is done intentionally. I don't think you're trying to recreate your childhood, but people with CPTSD can develop a blind spot around red flags and others that, you know, when I've done it, I've sort of experienced it as sort of like going blank and then marching right into the problem. It's not like a decision to have that problem. It's not conscious. And you cannot deny that we so often end up with people with problems that match the problems of our parents. So even when the signs are there, that someone you've allowed into your life is creating trouble, you may have a hard time setting up a boundary. And you'll experience this as a feeling of disappointment and surprise that, oh my gosh, once again, you're with someone who's sick and unavailable or dangerous or what have you, whatever your pattern is. And it can make you vulnerable to emotional hurt and physical and financial and social harm, right? You don't want troubled people in your life like that. You're trying to go somewhere good. So people who hurt you, you can consider them always a setback to your healing. 
Okay, so these are the main self-defeating behaviors. If you're ready to change, it helps to get acquainted with the list, identify maybe one problem you'd like to work on. Don't try to do a million things at once. Maybe don't even try to do two things at once, just one, and then find support to take positive actions toward changing it. One way you can do that is to learn to calm your triggered emotional reactions that push you toward the behavior you're changing. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.